Tests show that current endpoint protection platforms fail to provide full protection from targeted attacks. Security teams grapple with the diversification of the traditional endpoint. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group, and I'm at the Gartner Security Summit outside Washington. What are current and future requirements of endpoint protection? To answer that question, I'm pleased to be joined by Gartner Research Vice President Peter Firstbrook. Thanks for taking time to chat, Peter. Yeah, you're welcome. What are critical capabilities of endpoint protection platform and what are the future requirements? Well, obviously the biggest um, current requirement is to protect you against known and unknown threats. And I, th I think the unknown threats part of the equation is the one that the current vendors are not doing that good a job in. They're pretty adequate at, at detecting well-known threats, popular threats that are rapidly propagating but not so good at catching targeted threats as we saw from the flame virus and um, and and research into incidents show that you know the the average dwell time of some targeted threats is somewhere around 400 days which means it's they've been in their organization for 400 days so that's the big area that most people are focusing on now so if the vendors aren't doing the type of job you feel they should be doing, what should the end user be doing? The big thing that they can do to start off with is um, is what we call application control. So the first step is constrain the number of applications that you have in your inventory. Uh, the second step is to monitor those applications to make sure there are no vulnerabilities. And when there are vulnerabilities, that they patch them as immediately as they can. The next big step they can take is to remove administrator rights. Not Don't give end users the ability to install applications. And I realize that you know, for some organizations that can be pretty draconian. So the next step to that would be to institute a, a sort of a default deny application environment where users can install applications, but only after they've been approved by either IT or by um, a security vendor like Bit9 or Kaspersky or CoreTrace or McAfee who have, have programs that actually do this for you. Well, with BYOD happening, bringing your own device, does that make this far more complex? Yeah, well, with BYOD, you can't, I mean, obviously this approach won't work. This is only for corporate-owned devices where you're concerned about malware. When you look at BYOD, um, you really have to shift your thinking from I'm going to protect the infrastructure to I'm going to protect the information or my transaction systems. So now you're looking at tools like encryption, data leak prevention, app isolation, and things like that. So, so what you're really trying to do now is just if I'm going to allow somebody to access the our, our proprietary systems or our transactional systems or download data that um, I'm protecting that data or I'm protecting the transaction system. You have expertise in endpoint protection. I hear a lot. I've heard it here. I've heard it elsewhere that, yeah. you know, don't worry about that. Worry more about, as you sort of suggested, protecting the data. Where does, in today's world and what's going to the future, is the importance of endpoint protection? Well, I think it's still important to maintain a clean endpoint for corporate-owned devices because, it, I mean, the, the, the big issue is um, availability of computing resources. If your computer is infected with malware, it's not operating properly, somebody has to clean it up, they have to re-image it. We still need to protect it from that purpose. But, yeah, uh, and it's easier, much easier to keep the environment clean than it is to do what I'm describing, which is protect the data. Because following the data was it goes to, and, and people use it, they drop it in a Dropbox, and then it goes to their home PC, and then and it goes somewhere else, that's a lot harder problem. I hear about all these breaches and, and information is not being encrypted. Why do you think that's happening? People are scared of encryption. It, it increases the propensity for an incident to become a major incident. So what I mean by that is if your hard drive fails, it's fairly easy to recover from that. And it's sometimes even impossible to remove the hard drive physically and put it in another drive and detect what's on there. Once you have encryption, that those kinds of recoveries become impossible. The real concern is that the, the actual encryption scheme becomes the denial of service attack because of a failure in the encryption scheme. So a lot of people are worried about that. But 
equally, a lot of people are just, you know, they haven't thought about it. They haven't thought they have data on there. They don't realize that there's sensitive data on there. Or they just haven't around to getting to the budget or the, the, you know, the resources to actually go ahead and do that. We think that they should. I mean, certainly every mobile device should be protected with encryption if it has any sensitive data at all. And when you think about sensitive data, email may be enough to make you require encryption. Earlier, you mentioned uh, you weren't quite satisfied with the vendors. Why do you think the vendors are stepping up to this? Well, I think because they have a perfectly good business right now, and and nobody's forcing them to. No, you know, really, there's no alternative. None, none of the vendors are poking their head up above, above all the others, so they're all equally bad at this. And so there's no incentive for somebody like Semantic or McAfee to jump way ahead of the curve and invest too much in resources. Now, I mean, to be fair to them, they are trying, but they're not really driving away. And equally, no no buyer of security solutions are saying, "Hey, look, I'm not going to pay." for AV anymore. I'm going to buy some, but something else. Nobody's willing to make that career decision to, to not go with AV and to try to do another type of solution. So we have a reluctance on the side of buyers to do anything else, and we have a reluctance on the side of the vendors to do much else than their peers. So in some respects, it comes down to a basic costs. Right. Like all security decisions, it's a cost-risk-benefit. But there are some there are some vendors out there. I mean, Kaspersky's done some interesting stuff with application control. McAfee's introduced a new application control platform. There's vendors like Bit9 out there, which is one of the few vendors to stand up and say, "Hey, look, Flame, we could have stopped it. We did stop it." All the other vendors of the the um, CERT tested, I think, 47 different antivirus vendors against Flame, the Flame virus, and none of them caught it. But Bit9, which is an application control, it's a different paradigm. Their default deny, they said, well, we stopped it. We don't need to have any previous knowledge of the threat. Anything else like that? The other thing that you can do, actually, when you respect to endpoint security, all of this stuff comes from the web. So focusing on your web gateways and, and protecting it adds another layer. If some people are looking for a silver bullet, it may not actually be in the client software. It may be in the network. And, and you can do that through SaaS, which you know vendors like Zscaler, or you can do it as infrastructure vendors like WebSense or Bluecoat. Thank you, Peter. You're welcome. I've been speaking with Peter Firstbrook of Gartner for Information Security Media Group. I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.